Good morning. Would you state your name and spell it for the record, please? My name is Ezra McCandless, um, E-M-E-Z-R-A-M-C-C-A-N-D-L-E-S-S. Okay, Ezra, I'm going to ask you to speak really clearly into the microphone because you're soft-spoken. Yes. Okay. So everybody can hear you. All right? All right. Um, I guess the first question I'm going to ask you is, why Ezra McCandless? Why that name? Why Ezra McCandless? Well, I have gone through a lot of changes in my life regarding identity and what really fits me. And I tried on a few names, but I found ultimately that Ezra fit perfectly for who I am. What was your birth name? My birth name was Monica J. And. Um, did your name eventually become the last name Carlin? Yes. Okay. So why did you decide specifically, I'm going to ask you the specifics of both names and what they mean to you. Let's talk about the last name first, why right. you changed your last name. I changed my last name not to change my last name because of family's sake, but to I changed it because of the name McCandless is from an individual named Christopher McCandless from Into the Wild, he's known for. And his love for nature, his philosophies for life, they were very in tune and aligned with who I am. So I honored him by taking his last name. And what about... Uh, and Into the Wild, just everybody might not know what it is, just in a sentence, tell us. It's a novel. It's a book he wrote. Okay. Uh, it was a book written about him? Yes, about him. Okay. And what about the name Ezra? How did you choose that name? I was on a family vacation, and it was just absolutely wonderful and I spotted the name Ezra and I noticed how it's it's more neutral it's it leans not necessarily masculine and it's not necessarily completely feminine and I found that just it felt right to me at a certain point in your life did you feel that being identified as female did not fit you Yes. Okay. Why don't you explain how you view your gender? In high school, I found that I felt more comfortable being masculine. It was it was how I identified at the time was my alignment was very masculine. What about now? Now I'm I'm fluid. So, I I lean now more towards my femininity as a woman. Okay. And has this fluidity been going on for a period of time? Yes, for a few years now. Okay. Um, I'm going to ask you what might seem like a silly question, but um, just some people knows, have you been doodling in court? Yes. Can you explain why? Well, I've been doodling in court because there's there's times when this experience is very traumatic and it helps center me so that I can breathe through it and I can focus on something at the time so that I can breathe. Are you an artist? Yes. Can you just tell the jury a little bit about how you developed your interest in art? 
I developed my interest in art when I was as young as five years old. I've always had an interest in art and I've been doing it since then. And I continued to have a passion for it throughout high school and even in secondary school when I decided to take art and work for a professor of the arts and hang for a gallery. All right. Um, and the other thing I want to ask you is um, what you, your height and weight are. So what's your height, first of all? I'm 5'2". And how much do you weigh? I roughly... Or, I'm sorry. <laughs> I roughly weigh 100, between 115 and 120 pounds. Back in March yes. of 2018, approximately what was your weight or... Approximately my weight was 115. Wait, so about the same? Yes. Okay. Um, were there times before then where you were heavier? Yes. Okay. I'm going to ask you about meeting Alex. All right. Yes. Um, why don't you tell us how you met Alex Woodworth? I met Alex Woodworth one night when I noticed him. He was riding alone inside a bar called The Joint. He, he just seemed very focused, and I thought it was interesting that he was alone amongst all these people so focused on his writing. And when you saw him alone, focused on your, his writing, did you have any conversation with him? Yes. How did that occur? I was curious as to how he could focus alone. Uh, alone on this topic, I approached him and I said, what are you writing about? Just tell me about it. Um, when you met him yes. and he was writing, um, I'm... what has been marked as exhibit number 697. Six, sorry, can't see anything without my glasses, and ask you to identify what this is. This is a table of contents of Alex's writings. Okay. You've seen this before? Yes. All right. And just to understand what writings they are, you were in court when the original copies of his journal were shown, Yes. Right? And is this an accurate copy of them? Yes. All right. And just showing you, can you name the names of the journals? Yes. Do you want me to read? Yes, you can. You can. And it's just so the jury is clear. Does this book contain both the original copies of the original handwriting and the typed copies to make it easier to read? Yes. All right. Okay. So what are the names of the journals? Personal Notes, Research Ideas, and the Quest to Understand. Okay. That's the first journal? Yes. The second? Extra Scraver. Okay. And the third? I met a man walking through a briar patch. He was looking for the rose promised by the thorns. Okay. 
Mr. Woodworth. Yes. I'm going to show you page six. day did Alex Woodworth show you his journal yes and looking at page six I'm just gonna ask you to take a minute to look there's two pages to page six a typed version and a handwritten version yes are those the same the typed version and the handwritten version yes they are did he share with you what he had written on that day Yes, he did share with me. Did you also read it at a later date? Yes. All right. I'm going to put this on the... And just to clarify the record, this is a journal entry from August 8th, 2017, right? Okay. So just to show what the handwritten version looks like, is this the handwritten version? Yes. All right. Now so we can read it, I'm going to show you the typed version. Huh? Okay. So in this typed version, after, it starts with a quotation, right? Yes. And that's yes. from a book? Yes. Do you know who the author of that book is? No, I cannot remember. Okay, that's fine. Can you read the next sentence to the jury? I am oddly preoccupied with the concept of cannibalism, not quite with the actual cannibalism practice, but rather the indwelling metaphors our understanding actually works with. All right, the essay, what does the essay go on to talk about without having to read every line? Cannibalism is mentioned in this essay a few times. It goes on to deal with the concepts of metaphorical cannibalism and the concept of cannibalism itself as what cannibalism renders you as and the anxieties and the fears and being a meal in a sense. Is it fair to say, or is your interpretation of the essay that it is philosophical in nature? Yes. As opposed to literal in nature? Yes. I'll come back to his writings on cannibalism, but I'm going to uh, ask you a little more about that conversation with him. <laughs> Yes. Aside from looking at his journal about cannibalism, what discussions did you and Alex Woodworth have at that time? Well, I was, he caught me right away because I thought it was quite a peculiar subject, cannibalism. And I was interested in what he meant, what I understood. He was speaking of it philosophically. And I also wanted his ideas and his concepts of literally cannibalism. 
So we talked back and forth about a few artists that have partaken in cannibalism that he mentioned. We spoke about his, the anxieties of and what it means for someone to consume another. What did he say that at that time, on August 8th, or roughly August 8th of 2017, what did he tell you about what he meant by consuming another? Objection at hearsay, Your Honor. Uh, overruled. Thank you. Uh, again, we have had a pretrial ruling on this, and it doesn't go to the truth of the matter. It only goes to what Ms. McCandless heard or understood or what was in her mind. So you may proceed. As long as we're on that understanding, then that's fine. Okay. I withdraw the objection. Can you ask the question again, please? Sure. Uh, actually, I'll have the court reporter read it back, so it's exactly the same. Okay. So what did he say at that time on August 8th, or roughly August 8th of 2017, what did he tell you about? What did he tell you about what he meant by consuming others? Thank you. At that time, when we were deep in this discussion, he was we talked about, he mostly talked about the philosophical sense, and he also mentioned the fact that often individuals partook in cannibalism because it was, in essence, a consumption of one's power to take in another's flesh. All right. Besides cannibalism, did you talk about other things with him that evening? Yes. All right. At some point, was your conversation interrupted by another person? It was. Who came over to interrupt your conversation? My boyfriend at the time, Jason, pulled me aside and he kind of interrupted our conversation. Um, what impressions or feelings did you have after Jason interrupted your conversation? Can you, about him interrupting? Yes, about him interrupting. Well, I was, I felt at, that my conversation was cut short, that I had plenty more to talk about. Did you... Were you able to then continue your conversation with Alex Woodworth? Yes. Um, why don't you just summarize that for us? What else you talked about? Well, we went out for a smoke and we started talking about our love for spiders because we both noticed a spider in the window sill or the a spider web. We noticed it at the same time. Okay. Um, so that first time that you talked to Alex, um, how long about, if you can remember approximately, how long do you think your conversation was with him on that particular date? In whole, I think our conversation was about an hour. Did um, you uh, continue your friendship after that? Yes. And um, did you eventually become more than just friends? Yes. All right. We're going to return to that. But right, right now, I'm going to get into a different topic with you, all right? I'm going to ask you about Jason Mangle. All right. Um, tell us briefly how you met Jason. I met Jason outside of a coffee shop one night after a music festival. 
What's the name of that coffee shop? Racy Delanes. All right. Um, and just tell us a little bit about meeting him. He let out a big sigh, and I was curious why he was doing that. He seemed quite frustrated, so I said, well, what's the matter? And we just, we instantly started talking, and we talked almost all night. After that all-night conversation, what happened with you and Jason? Well, after we exchanged information, we had begun texting and back and forth, and we started seeing each other after. At that time, where were you living? I was living with my mother in Stanley, Wisconsin. The texting went on, and did it texting lead to dating? Yes. You sound kind of happy about that, or <laughs> not happy, intense, I would say, would well, be the word. We fell in love quite fast because we had just so much in common. And how, in the beginning of that relationship, how would you characterize how Jason treated you? He treated me very well. What was the age difference, or what is the age difference between you and Jason Mangle? It's about 13, 14 years apart. Do you know how old you were when you met him? Yes, I was about 19. Did you know how old he was? Yes. How old was he then? if you recall. He was about 34. All right. So that's how you remember yeah. it? Yeah. All right. So there's yes. about a 15 or so year age difference between the two of you? Yes. How, did you realize that right away when you met him? Yes. How did you feel about that? That well, age difference specifically? The age difference? Well, I wasn't concerned necessarily that we had an age gap I felt a bit awkward that he was so much older than me and he was even close to my own parents' age. Did there come a time in your relationship where you got pregnant? Yes. How did you discover that? I was very sick and I had been throwing up for weeks and I decided to go buy a pregnancy test and take it. Uh, when you say buy a pregnancy test, do you mean those kinds they sell in the drugstore that give you a line? Yes. All right. So where were you when you took the pregnancy test? Do you remember? I was at a gas station. And did you tell Jason about it? Yes, I did. How did he react? He, he seemed anxious and he wanted to go to get he wanted to go get the test confirmed at the doctors and he was it was hard to really read what he was thinking at the time did you go to the doctor yes i did after um uh, and what was the result from the doctor's office i was in fact pregnant ultimately uh what did you decide to do about that pregnancy I ultimately decided to terminate the pregnancy early on. Why? I, was, I wasn't sure what to do at that time. I was scared. I was so young. I was confused as to really what to do. So I decided, it, was, it felt rushed, I decided to terminate the pregnancy. And um, would it be fair to say that 
even then you had very conflicted feelings? Yes. Objection leading. Sustained. Aye. Um, how did terminating the pregnancy make you feel? I felt very empty after. I felt very, it hurt emotionally and physically and it made me feel alone and very empty. After terminating the pregnancy, um, did you tell Jason you did not want him in the room? I did, yes. Why? I felt overwhelmingly ashamed, and I just felt like I didn't want to have him witness me in, like that. I didn't, didn't want him to. This abortion and its aftermath, you, was there a change at all to your relationship? Yes. Why don't you tell us about that? After the abortion, things between me and my partner and Jason, it caused a lot of distance between us. He began sleeping on the couch and he rejected physical intimacy, even holding my hand at times. Just so we set the date, do you recall the date that you terminated your pregnancy? Yes. When was it? The only date that I could schedule was October 6th. Is that a significant day to you in another way? Yes. Why? It's my birthday. So you said he started sleeping on the couch. <laughs> yes. Um, lacked physical intimacy, wouldn't even hold your hand. Were there other things going on in your relationship that made you feel uneasy or unhappy? Yes. Why don't you tell us about those? Jason and I started feeling frustrated, and I felt very micromanaged at the time. He, he, want, he was controlling me in many ways and micromanaging me, and we, we had just, we had started to grow apart as a couple. Were there anything that he did that made you feel physically uncomfortable? Yes, he, he never hit me, but he would be very erratic with his gestures, and sometimes he would throw things or break things, and it just, that made me uneasy. Um, did he make accusations of you at all? Yes. Why don't you give us an example? An example of an accusation is that I was clumsy and that I would lose his things all of the time, and there was a time where he got very heated over a Sharpie marker, even, and it caused an argument between us. What did he say about the Sharpie marker? That I misplaced it on purpose, and I just, I'm so stupid for losing things all the time. I shouldn't touch his things. That, that's about what it was about. You were in court when Jenna Van Zant testified? Yes. And um, she identified herself as, well, first of all, did Jason have a roommate back at that time? Yes, he did. What was that roommate's name? His name was Alexander, Z Alexander Zink. And what was Jenna Vandezant's relationship to Alexander Zink? They were boyfriend and girlfriend. Uh, was she somebody that at that time you became close to? Yes. You heard her testify about Jason... Um, 
criticizing your makeup or what was that about? Well, he would at times criticize my makeup. He would say I looked like a clown or he would criticize my weight, even though at that time I was very small from being sick. And he just anything he could really pick at, he would. Um, you mentioned that Jason and your adoptive father, Joe St. Carlin, are about the same age. Yes. And um, did Jason have a relationship? Um, well, first, did Jason in some ways remind you of your father? Oh, yes. He definitely reminded me of my father. Okay. Can, it, it, currently, how's your relationship with your father? I love him, and we're fine. Okay. But growing up, how was your relationship with your father? It was very turbulent. I was often afraid of him and intimidated and very put down. Um, well, first of all, let me ask about both your parents, your mother and your father. When you grew up, yes. at a certain point, did your mother and Joe Shane get a divorce? Yes. How old were you then? I was in middle school, so 11, 12. Before the divorce, what word would you say most described that household? It was like living with two, two tornadoes in one room. All right. And focusing on that, um, yes. the tornado that was Joe Shane, when you say tornadoes, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is they're both very strong, opinionated people. And they just would often butt heads. And my mom had, she disagreed about ways he would discipline me, and that would cause arguments. Was there a lot of time when your mom was not at home during that period of your life? Yes, she was working. And when you were with Joe Shane and your mother wasn't around? Yes. Tell us about some of the things he would do. Some of the things he would do when I was younger is he often, he was, he was very loud. He would always yell about something or he would put me down. He often called me stupid and he just, he would say I wouldn't amount to much and that I was slow and he just, he was very emotionally abusive to me. Um, how did you respond to that? I responded by just being quiet, and I would cry, and I would just often go off and be alone. When you would cry, how would he handle that? He doesn't approve of crying. He would tell me that he would give me something to cry about. Was part of your response of dealing with him, um, did you sometimes feel like you were like spaced out or lost a sense of where you were? Yes. Why don't you tell us about that? There was often times to tone out the yelling and the name calling that I felt very distant from myself. I would essentially just close off everything around me and I didn't want to cry in front of him. So I would, in that, I would prevent myself from crying. Um, were there times where you found yourself in that state? without even realizing you were going there? Yes, there was times I would zone out and I wouldn't even realize I was doing it at the time. All right. Um, and getting back to Jason. Yes. Um, did he meet your parents? Yes. And 
Jason and your father, what kind of relationship did they have? Very buddy-buddy. They are very close with each other. Okay. So coming back to the issue, leaving aside your family. Yes. Coming back to the issue of you and Jason, and you're in this period where things aren't going well. Yes. What is happening at this point in your friendship with Alex Woodworth? And, and I'm directing you specifically to October yes. of 2017, okay? After the abortion. Alex okay. and I, we began, he would notice me at the coffee shop and I would notice him more. And we started going on long walks with each other after he would close. When you say he would close, what do you mean? He, closing up the restaurant, coffee shop, Racy Delane's. Do you mean he was closing up because he was the last patron there, or was he working there? Working. And on these walks, um, why don't you tell us what you and Alex talked about? Alex and I, we talked about life itself. I would talk about nature and how I viewed things, and then... Alex would talk about how he would view things and his philosophies and his ramblings, as he would say. And often I was kind of the yin to his yang because a lot of his philosophies countered mine because mine are very in the sunlight, in the sunshine, and his are very much so a rainy day. Um. Did you tell Alex about your abortion? Yes, I did. I, on one of our walks, I shared with him what I was going through at that time. And he allowed me to open up about it and how I really, truly felt and all of the pain that came with it. As you got close to Alex, yes. did you learn more about his past? I, I learned some things about his past, yes. And your relationship, I'm going to ask you some questions about his past, actually. All right. What did you learn about Alex and his feelings as you became close with him? Feelings towards his past? Yeah, just tell us some of the things he shared with you. Some of the things he shared with me is that he often puts a happy face on when he goes back home for holidays, and at times it can deeply depress him, and he often felt like... From Exhibit 697, uh, essay called Words, dated November 6, 26, excuse me, 2016. Yes. All right, so... Again, looking at the typed and the handwritten pages, have you had an ability to look at them before and compare them? Yes. And are they, is the typed version just make it easier to read? Yes. Okay. Um, now, this essay was written before Alex met you, but have you read this essay? Yes, I have. And have you discussed it with Alex? Yes. Is this the typed version of the essay called Words? Yes. All right. Looking at the second paragraph of that essay, 
Can you read the second paragraph? Are you speaking of the paragraph that starts with yet? No, this paragraph that starts with do I wish. Do right on the top. So I've. All right, would you like me to read this? Yes, please. Do I wish, desire to die? In a way, yes, in another, no. For the first, life is misery, each day the same, exhausting. For the second, a wager of experiences that outweigh any present pain. The former is inexplicable. The latter is need of comment. Okay, the next paragraph. There is little I've enjoyed more than the physical intimacy. The contact under covers list watching a film, for example. These have a way of grounding a shattered conscience. Regardless of any euphoria of reflection, her presence, her breath against me, the heaves of her chest cement me, pull me back together. Indeed, bliss is her heart beat felt. All right. Now Fair to say those words are not written about you. This journal is written before he met you. Yes. Did he express uh, similar feelings towards you uh, eventually in your relationship? Definitely. Direction, relevance. Uh, I'm an overrule. Go ahead. Yes, he did. All right. And does he continue in this essay to talk about depression? Yes. What does he say at the top of this page, starting with the word or? Or, in formula, my emptiness is what prevents any feel fulfillment. Or again, my misery blocks any happiness from occurring. Yet again, my illness makes a cure unattainable. Okay, go ahead. How sad, huh? Does he talk in this essay about philosophy and how that helps him? Yes. What does he say about that? You can just summarize it if you remember it. Philosophy is kind of a vessel for him. And by a vessel, what do you mean? A vessel for is what I considered pain. Okay. Does Did he say that philosophy was like a way out or something that he yes. could escape into? And at the very end in his essay, after he talks about escaping into it, what does he say? He says... And so, starting with those words. And so... Do you mean pity me? No, the paragraph before that. All right. And so, my attempt to escape is futile. I am trapped by the very trapped I was caught by, the longing to be otherwise that alone. Yet, that is what I am, alone. My loneliness even prevents socialization. Too many times I've heard, you didn't look like you wanted to talk, entirely because I longed for that very connection I failed to even be recognized as feeling alone because of how alone I fell. Pity me, I refuse to utter such words. Instead, my only hope is to be as alone as I feel, so I can. Thank you. Were there other times that Alex Woodworth wrote about being lonely, empty, and misery? Did that theme continue in his writings? 
It continued, yes. Okay. Um, this first before I get to the themes of loneliness and misery in his writing yes did your relationship eventually change from being friends and confidants who went on walks and discussed philosophy into something else yes why don't you tell us about that Alex and I it started slow, we, we held hands, we hugged, and we shared a few kisses, and then eventually we became partners. And was this, were you still living with Jason during this time? Yes. Um, when you say you became partners, can you just explain what kind of partner you mean? S sexual partners. Okay. Um, and did he express desires for you to be vulnerable to him? Absolutely, yes. I'm going to show you another um, essay of his. I'm just waiting to get it out of the book. Yes. Okay. essay. In quotes it says, come as you are, flaws and all. What's the date that this essay was written? October 29th, 2017. And again, is the type version the same as the handwritten version? Yes. First of all, looking at the very top of this essay, Come As You Are, yes. okay, I just want to ask you, without having you read the whole top, you notice that he talks about Caputo, Abraham, and God. And, yes. And the Abrahamic story of Isaac and sacrifice, is that what that relates to? Yes, it does. Okay. And was Caputo... Um, or just tell tell us about Alex and Caputo or that that book. Was that a book he was fond of? He was very fond of that book. It was a staple in his reading and his philosophies. Okay. Um, does he also in this the last sentence in this paragraph mentions? If I'll just read it for you, alongside the obligatory, I want to find a poetics of erotics. Did he connect Caputo philosophy? And eroticism? Objection, yes. Leading. I don't think that's leading. I just asked if he connected them. It's a preliminary Pardon. question. Okay, I'll give you a little attitude. So I'm going to overrule, but okay. it, is, it is leading. What, what do you mean by that when you say he connected those things? What I mean by that is that he 
wanted to explore them in his concepts of erotics. He wanted to explore the stories from Caputo and the novel about Abraham. Okay. And going to he, later down the page, all right, as yes. it continues, I'm going to ask you specifically, and I'm trying to make this easier for you to read than, so you don't have to search. Thank you. Okay. Can you read that paragraph that starts with, here I am? Here I am, come as you are, flaws and all. I wager myself and invite you to risk yourself. All right, just stop right there. Do you know what he's writing about in this essay on October 29th? Yes, I do. How do you know? I know because come as you are, flaws and all was a discussion we had between each other often. It was something he would say to me, he would text to me and ask of me all of the time. Okay. And go ahead and keep reading that. All I, all of this is needed. I cannot command you to come unless I risk the same. In this phrase, I occupy both the Abrahamic, here I am, and the divine, come. If either parts fails, erotics fails, even if it succeeds. All right, keep going. If I do not risk myself, I reveal the desire to possess. I am seducing, not loving. If I do not invite you to risk yourself, I become the ethical fool, the willing sacrifice. I am committed, but to someone who doesn't love me. What's he talking about there, committed, but to someone who doesn't love him? Objection. Sustained. For speculation. Did he discuss with you what that line meant, that he's committed, but to somebody who doesn't love me? Yes. We had this discussion, as we did in many of our discussions, about that I was still in a relationship essentially with Jason. So he felt that because I was still in that relationship, I was not fully committed to just him. This essay ends with him saying, we hide our flaws and it is a feat to come flaws and all. Have you actually responded? Do you know what he's referring to there? Yes. Okay, can you tell the jury that? What? He is saying there is that it's hard to bear yourself to someone completely, to be vulnerable. I, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. Sorry. I was out, he asked me to be vulnerable with him, to essentially come to him flaws and all. And I've often struggled bearing my flaws easily and openly. So it was this discussion in this essay we read together was about how I was and trying to bear myself to him and as he was asking, because he bared himself to me, that I should do the same. Now, let's talk a little bit more about your relationship and its development. So this is written in late October. Yes. In that time, in October, just what's the status of your relationship with him yet? Is it sexual? Is it on its way to being sexual? What's going on? It's, at that time, we were becoming intimate, yes. We were very much so falling in love at that time. And 
Um, did there come a time where you spent the night at his house? Yes. Do you remember roughly when that first time was? E roughly, yes, I do remember. Okay, why don't you tell us? It was late October. Could it have November. been the beginning of October? Oh, yes. I'm sorry, not late October. Could it be beginning of November? That's what I meant to say. Yes. I'm getting a little confused. All right. And um, was Jason out of town when that happened? Yes, he was. Okay. Um, you've seen Alex's roommates come in and testify, his yes. former roommates? Yes. All right. Um, was Dave Stoiding a roommate at that time? Yes, he was. Had you ever met him? No. We kind of avoided each other. Okay. And what about the other roommate, Matt Schreiner? Did he eventually become a roommate too? Or was he, was he, a a, he was a roommate at the time, yes. And did you socialize with him at all? Off and on, we had socialized. We met each other at the coffee shop a few times. Okay. Um, so when you um, stayed over with him, tell us how your relationship was developing at that time. At that time, it was becoming very intimate is how I can describe it. We have be we at that time had become sexual partners and we were sharing with each other a lot of ourselves. D despite the fact that you were close and sharing things, yes. was Alex still writing in a way that reflected and talking to you in a way that reflected misery or depression or unhappiness or Yes, he was. showing you an essay in Exhibit 697 yes. called The Failure to Write, dated December 21st, 2017. Yes. Are you familiar with that essay? Yes. And is it the same as the handwritten? Is the type version the same as the handwritten? Yes. Now, in this essay, without reading, can you tell us, or, or just, I mean, not reading the whole thing, the paragraph that says, this is supposed to help my misery. Can you, can you read that paragraph? Yes. This is supposed to help ease my misery, but it only draws it into reflection. I want to say so much to you, but I cannot bring myself to speak. The words, if said to you, would only hurt more. They would hurt you and exacerbate, exuberate my own pain. Is that exacerbate? Exacerbate. That, that's okay. Then the words that he says after that, he goes on. Can you read that? I know that I am not your priority. I am secondary to you. I believe that you love me but your love for another is what you place your faith in. I am loved, but in a way that you can always give up. You believe that things can get better with the love you prioritize, and that means you believe you will abandon me someday. I am in so much pain because you love me, and, you, and still you hope to abandon me 
to my loneliness again. Can you see that your desire for your priority is also a desire for my annihilation? Can I show you this? Or is my only hope to be that your priority ceases to be so far the development of my own significance? Can you realize that I am your significant other in a way that I benefit from? Now, this essay was written on December 21st, 2017. Yes. Okay, we're going to come back in a little bit to something that happened in December of 2017. All right. This is from December 26, 2017. Yes. What is the title of that essay? An Obsession with Misery, December 26, 2017. Okay. And um, is this the typed version again? Is it the same as the handwritten? Yes. <coughs> okay, this is short. Yes. Okay, why don't you read this? All right. Alongside my obsession with erotics, I am possessed to write about misery, the failing of happy consciousness. In all honesty, suffering is among my greatest interests. Okay, I'm going to... Okay, just go ahead. Keep going. I am in love with the feminology of illness, both mental and physical but also with the sub-pathological suffering. The plight of a guilty woman who is sexually promiscuous interests me as much as those with cancer, dis depression, and dysphoria. The anxiety of perfectionism, of a short prognosis of lifelong uncurable symptoms is a game, as that is an overworked college student with a cumulative final, each differs from the others. But that there is misery remains constant. Love has been interwoven into my life, but so has object misery been. I recall my first okay. love. I, I'm going to stop you okay. there because um, he is talking. Did he discuss this essay with you? Yes. And he goes on in the essay to talk about other people and their misery? Yes, he does. All right. And do you know, or did he talk to you about why he was writing about misery at near the end of December? He was himself feeling a lot of internal pain and loneliness, even well as we had a relationship together. And... When you first met him, we, we talked about this a little earlier. Yes. And he was writing about cannibalism, right? Yes, he was. All right. Do you recall, did that theme continue in his discussions with you? Often, yes. And did he write about that in some of his other essays? Yes. Um, 
going back to August of 2017. What's the name of this essay? Dead to me. And the date? August 6, 2017. Is the type version the same as the handwritten? Yes. And looking at this up to the right place one minute to say I'm not great at using this Elmo. This essay, can you just read the first sentence of that paragraph? Yes. Because you are dead to me, this love fails to truly be, fails to be truly erotic now, though it may have been. Instead, we are speaking of cannibalism. All right. So, besides cannibalism in his writings, aside from that, this is in August. We've already talked about it. Yes. Did he continue to have these discussions with you about cannibalism beyond writing about them? All of the time, yes. What, what would he, did, did his expressions or his talks about cannibalism go beyond the esoteric or the philosophical from what you heard from him? Yes. Why don't you tell us about that? It, would, it went beyond philosophy at points when we would discuss erotics of cannibalism. And cannibalism in the sense of individuals in history and through the past and even artists who have take, partaken in cannibalism because of their ultimate de desire to consume that individual, to consume that individual's power, or to consume that individual so that that person they had loved would never leave them. So in other words, I, I'm not quite understanding what you mean, the person that they loved would never leave them. Could you just explain a little bit more what, what yes. Alex told you and what he meant about that? We specifically spoke of individuals, lovers, that partook in cannibalism, and he consumed his partner so that, in essence, by consuming his partner, eating him, because he was passed away, he was never away from him. He had absorbed his essence. Now... Let me ask you about uh, 
again, another essay. August 9th. What is the title of this essay? essay? Violation. And the date? August 9th, 2017. So again, is he writing about you in this essay? No. Okay. So I'm going to show you just a brief part of this essay. In this essay, is he discussing a prior relationship with him? Yes. All right. Can you read this where it says distract me? Yes. Distract me is dehumanizing, unhuman. It is the request of a mind to flesh. It is cannibalism. The words haunt me, confirming that you had died to me. I was lift with a revenant. A fa facsimile? Facsimile. A facsimile of a person who spoke of a warm caress while offering a vampire touch. Now, in that essay, when he said, I was lift with a remnant, first of all, in your discussions with him, was lift actually intended to be left? I was left with a remnant? Yes. Okay, that's what I'm asking about. All right. And in that discussion, can you explain what a revenant, or, or not what it is necessarily, but what Alex said a revenant was? Yes, we often talked about a revenant. When we would speak of a revenant, or a revenant, we would discuss how it, essentially what a revenant is, is an individual come back from the dead, a specter or a ghost of sorts. They have come back to do unfinished business, or it is called like retribution, or it's unfinished business essentially is what a revenant comes back for. It was a topic we often talked about because he would tell me he considered himself a revenant. This essay. Yes. I'm going to ask you to read it from where it says, I know now. It Just the next few sentences. I know now that you wanted to change me and be changed by me. You asked for my flesh. I'm sorry, I had that a little. Thank you. You asked for my flesh and offered me yours, but so that we could give and receive back new flesh. I am yours, become mine. I mistook the innocent play, your desire for my hunger. I saw cannibalism where you asked to be seen erotically. Okay, let's stop there. When he says, I saw cannibalism when you asked to be seen erotically, do you know what he's writing about? Objection calls for speculation. Sustained. Did you discuss with Alex what he was writing about? Yes. Why don't you tell us what that was about? When I discussed this with Alex, he was speaking of, he was taking the other person in, he was consuming them wholly. Were they seen, where they wanted to be seen erotically, lovingly, he was seeing them as something to take in, to possess. Did Alex tell you whether or not that reference was about you? 
Yes. And what did he say? He told me that it was in reference of me because of parallels of someone he was with in the past. I'm going to show you again the beginning of the same essay. Yes. Um, let me get it to this. Can you read this? I am warm. I am kind. I am good. When did it? When did I become so dull inside? I am not warm. I am so gloomy. I am not kind. I am so distant. I'm not good. I'm aberrant. I've aberrant got, is that aberrant? Aberrant. Okay. I have gotten too good at being these things. Am I seen as a good as a person anymore? They aren't masks, though. All right. Let me ask you about there where he's saying he's aberrant and it's not a mask. Can you explain, or did you, Alex, discuss with you what he meant by that? He discussed with me about masks often. One minute, please. All right. And can you tell me what he would tell you about masks? Or not tell me, tell all of us. Yes. What he told me about masks is that he often seen others and he often felt himself that he had to put on a mask to present himself a certain way so that when he was out in public or when he was at work, he would put on a certain face. And often he felt that it was always hard to always have to wear a mask with certain people. All right. In the same essay, yes. I'm going to go to one more area. All right. And I'll direct you over to the words, my touch. Can you see that? Yes, I can. Okay. Why don't you read that? My touch is a request. Feel nothing but me. Let me give death a face to you. Has my body ever taken someone's from there and gave it back different? I remember holding her with my coat, warming her already too human face. Did it consume her as she did me? Or was my futile attempt to possess but kindling? I am not warm, but I can offer myself to your blaze. Okay, I'll ask you to stop there. Again, did Alex discuss with you what he meant and I want to ask specifically about where he says, let me give death a face to you. Do you did he talk about that with you? He did talk about that with me. And what did he mean? He wasn't, he wasn't talking about death as in looking at the other individual and he's seen death. He was, in essence, speaking of how loving that individual was as death. It is, it's, it's a hard thing to just outright and say. Okay. Um, I want to ask you about the sexual aspects of your relationship with Alex during this time, meaning late October, November, December, all right? So during this period of time, can you tell us some of the, and um, I know it's very intimate, but some of the it details is. of your sexuality or the sexuality or sex between you and Alex Woodworth? 
Alex and I, when we began our relationship, sex was very vanilla, I can say. It what was, does vanilla mean? Well, Just in case people haven't heard that expression. What vanilla means is that it was your your average sex. It was missionary. You're, you're what a lot of people would describe as normal sex. Okay. And during this period of time, were, was there some progression from the pure vanilla into yes. some differences early now, November, December? Yes, there were. I encouraged him to explore himself and things he might want. And he started, we started practicing and doing these new things that he wanted to express himself. Okay. First of all, in terms of sexual position, was there a preferred sexual position from Alex's that Alex told you he preferred? Yes. What was that? It was called prone, as he informed me. And were you face to face during sex? No, rarely. Okay. What position were you in? From behind is what you can call it. He would often express this desire for it. And were there objects he would use uh, that impaired your sight at all? Yes, he he preferred to have my glasses off, and he enjoyed to blindfold me. Um, was there? Uh, anything specific about lightness versus darkness? Yes, he he liked it to be either soft light, a candle, or he preferred it to be absolutely dark. He enjoyed kind of the mystery of it all in the dark. How did you feel about that? I thought it was interesting and exciting, and I also felt... I am very visually impaired without my glasses, so I get a little uncomfortable at times without them. So let me ask this. Did Alex refer to you as a boy? Yes. Do you know why he referred you to you as a boy? Did he tell you why? Yes. Can you tell us about that? Objection, relevance. <coughs> I'm going to overrule. Go ahead. Again, we, we, there's a limited purpose. Yes, this is for her feelings. Okay. Yeah, I, I think this has been out there quite a bit already in front of All the right. jury. All right. What were your feelings, or, or what did he tell you about him referring to you as a boy? Well, as our relationship progressed, um, I told him about how I identified in the past as almost strictly masculine. And he, he preferred that I presented myself in a masculine way. He often told me how confident I looked and how much he was attracted to me because he could call me a boy, his boy, and present that way. Did you present yourself as a male to Alex? Yes, I did. What about the word boy specifically? How did you feel about his use of the word boy? The word boy specifically, at first it was gender, as you can call it, but then the word became more 
possessive. I was his boy. It felt objectifying at times. And what do you mean by objectifying? So I you felt... Continue? Thank you. Um, Ms. McCandless, you have referred to some essays from a book called Personal Notes and Research Ideas of the Quest to Understand. Correct? Yes. And Doctor. Um, I inadvertently, I didn't realize that the original was not in evidence. So I'm showing you what's been marked. Oops, it's Exhibit 698. Uh, yes. Is that the orange notebook that contains those essays you've testified about? Yes. Thank no you. No objection to its admission, Your Honor. All right. And what's that exhibit 698? Yes. Okay. Exhibit 698 will be received. Again, subject to uh, court's pretrial rulings. Now, I've also been showing you what was previously marked as number, I believe, 653. I just want to make sure. And this is a copy of the book, the original of the book called Extra Scriber. Yes. I'm going to ask you to please turn to page 32 in this book. Or maybe I'll do it for you just to make it. Mm -hmm. So first of all, are there page numbers at the bottom of each page? Yes. All right. Um, on page 32, do you see a doodle at the bottom of that page? Yes. What is that doodle? Sorry. Um, this doodle is a dog. Okay. Who drew it? I did. Do you remember when you drew it? Yes. Can you tell the jury when you drew it? I drew it when we were together sharing a cup of coffee and he was writing and I was reading as he was writing. All right. And then turning to page 41 in the journal, is there a doodle at the bottom of page 41? Yes. And when did you doodle that? I doodled this when we were together yet again, and it's a bug of sorts. All right. And then turning to page 181, at the bottom of page 181, is there another doodle? Yes, there is. And when did you doodle that? I doodled this yet again when we were spending time together, and he was explaining to me, and we were talking back and forth about this essay. Okay. Thank you. I don't have any further questions about your doodles. Thank you. An extra scriber. take a look at that for a little bit. I need to be sure because unfortunately Actually, we didn't count, uh, defense did, but. Oh, well, it's in evidence. I, perhaps I right. misspoke and I apologize. 
Okay. All right. I'm showing you must have been marked as Exhibit 651. Is this another journal of yes. Alex Woodworth? Yes. And just, just what's the name of that journal? This journal, it's Notes. October 19th, 2017 through Dream tea, Tree, Simple and Elegant. And turning to the first page, is there a doodle at the bottom of that page? Yes. Did you draw that? Yes. Do it's you a, remember when you drew it? Yes, I remember when he asked me to read this and I drew a pumpkin with some hearts. Uh, uh, page 25. Is there a doodle on page 25? Yes, a cat. All right, page 27. Is there a doodle on page 27? Yes, a doodle of a peach. Page 32. Yes, this is a fox. And page 35? Yes, there's a doodle. All right, and were all of those doodles drawn when you were with Alex Woodworth at times he was talking about the pages on the journal? Yes. Okay. <coughs> I'm going to show you what was previously marked as exhibit number 654. Oh, we almost on it. Okay, I'm going to show you this book. Let me try and get the whole book in. Oops. Bearing in mind that I'm not great at this. Okay. Okay, I'm showing you what's been previously been marked. I think as exhibit number 654. Yes. Um, what is this? Susan Kierkegaard, Fear and Trembling. Um, this particular book, did Alex discuss this book with you much? We discussed it often and we discussed it the most during very intimate moments of our relationship. I want you to explain to the jury what you mean by him discussing them during intimate moments in your relationship. This book was the book he would read from as we were having sex and he would read passages from this book. Was there another book he also read passages from when you were engaged in sex with Alex? Yes, he would read from Caputo. Hope. Do you know what the name of that book is? Hoping Against Hope. talking about Alex referring to you as boy a little bit earlier? Yes. Did he also write about that in his journals? He did, yes. And I'm going to show you an essay from his journals that's 
one minute. I'm sorry, I'm trying to get the right part. All right. Boy, and I'm going to show you a journal entry and ask you what the name of that entry is. Yes. When I lost myself, November 29th through 30th, 2017. Is it fair to say this is a pretty long essay? Yes. Okay. And is uh, have you looked at the handwritten compared to the typed, and are they the same? Yes, I have. How many type pages are there in this essay? I guess I should ask you that first before yes. I go to it. There are 31 typed pages. Do you mean there are five type pages, number twice? Oh. <laughs> yes. Is that a mistake? I was reading the bottom number okay. instead of counting, but there are five. Okay. I'm not going to go through this whole essay with you. Yes. Um, I just want to ask you one thing that's in the essay. Okay. On the second to last page, or page four of the type version of the essay, can you please read that? Yes. I do not mean to stay to say that he is irrational for not running away with me. Rather, I mean his hopes for a potential. I fail to understand his love for an abusive partner, at least in ways specifically understand the desire for stability. All the more so because of his friendships are mediated by this relationship. To give up his current partner is to risk losing his friends. Furthermore, I understand his feelings of guilt, guilty. This issue is my lack of sympathy. I do not see what there is to feel guilty about. He cannot do as he wants, and thus there is no love. If he did as he wanted, even without doing evil, the relationship would end. There is no love. Love is not happening, and yet he loves. I do not understand, but still I hope to be understanding. Did Alex Woodworth discuss this journal entry with you? Yes. And that particular part which is referenced, what did he say to you about that? Well, when he was writing this very long journal, he pointed this out, that he had been writing about me. And I noticed that instead of saying as you might, she or her, he was saying my masculine pronoun, his, him. He was talking about kind of his desires for our relationship and how he desired for my other relationship to end. And I think, all right, I'll do that later. Was there a particular phrase that Alex, a philosophical phrase that Alex frequently used? Yes, he would often say to me, love and do as you will. And in your mind? Yes. What 
in your mind, well, first let me ask you this. What did Alex say that that meant to him? He said to me, in what I took from what we talked about, that this love and do as you will was a way to say, I will do what I want. I will love who I want. I will do what I need to do in love. And that essentially is he will take what he wants. Okay. I'm showing you an essay about love and do what you will. What is it called? Dilige et quad vis fact. Do you know what language that is? I believe it's French. Okay. Regardless of what language it is, because I don't know, um, do you know what it translates to? Love and do as you will. All right. What's the date that this essay was written? November 9th, 2017. By this time, and is it the same as the type handwritten version? Yes. All right. By this time, was your sexual relationship with Alex, um, had you had sexual intercourse by this time? Yes, we had had sexual intercourse by that time. Okay. And I'm not, again, I'm not going to ask you to read the whole essay. Yes. Um, but I'm going to ask specifically about this third paragraph and where it says, please forgive me. Okay. Can you read that part, That just those two sentences? Yes. Please forgive me for moving like you. You who are so alive. I profane the very breaths I take in undead hoping to pass for something other than conscious, than a conscious corpse. My guilt is wanting love without having a heart. And the next sentence? I've half-heartedly tried to isolate myself from you, afraid I would taint you. Okay, and then on, I'm going to move down. I'm going to move down to the end of the page. Okay, I'm off the screen. I'm sorry. Yes. I'm going to get it on the screen because when I look down, it looks like it's on the screen, but it's not. Yes, thank you. Okay. Yes, this last paragraph. Can you read that? Yes. I was further contaminated. This all mutated. I wanted to be happy but felt unworthy. I wanted to be loved but refused to believe it possible. I wanted to be alive, but lacked a heart. And you hurt me. I hated myself through you, and you were a living death. Everything I said came to be a lie. I had to escape the monster I became with you. You did not deserve it, nor did I. Do you, did Alex talk to you about what he's referring to when he says I had to become the monster? I had to escape the monster I became with you? Yes. What is that? In this conversation, we discussed how he felt, how we were continuing our relationship sexually, intimately, how he... 
wearing the masks to everyone else. And what do you mean by masks? And you, you just explain that. Wearing the masks as to seem a certain way with everyone, let's say, out in public, but underneath the mask, there was a lot hidden. All right, I'm gonna ask you about one other line in this essay. This is near the end of the essay. Yes. And again, we're not gonna read the whole thing, but I just would ask you to read the top sentence. I am, I am still afraid of myself, afraid I will come out again and hurt someone. Now, when he said that, did you discuss what he meant by he was afraid he would come out and hurt someone? Yes. Okay. And continuing with that paragraph. No, I'm sorry. Um, Mr. Nelson wants to say something. Why don't you tell the jury what he said to you about him saying he was afraid he would come out and hurt someone? What he said to me about this in our discussion is he said to me how he was afraid he was going to take all. He was going to be greedy in the sense that he was, if he wanted something, he was going to get what he wanted. I'm gonna refer you back to an earlier part of the essay, more in the beginning that I forgot to read you, or yes. forgot to ask you to read. Yes. Um, so let me just make sure I have that on there, where it says, I've half-heartedly. Yes. I've half-heartedly tried to isolate myself from you, afraid I would taint you, yet I love you. I am sorry for this failure on my part. I know my touch would kill you, yet I reach out. That is my sin, the violence of my flesh that I lack a soul to correct. Uh, okay, now did he discuss that with you specifically? Yes. What did he tell you about that? What he told me about this is that in our relationship, I expressed a lot of my anxieties and my uncertainties with my previous relationship, continuing relationship with Jason. He was expressing to me that he knew it was causing me anxiety to pursue this, to keep pursuing this relationship and what we were doing. And he told me that at this point it was that he didn't really necessarily care anymore that he was causing this anxiety, that he was going to reach out anyways to me, that he was going to continue our relationship because that's what he wanted. Now, did there come a time where Alex cut his wrist? Yes. Um, can you tell the jury about that? There had been a time when I received some messages from Alex saying that he had harmed himself. I was, he was asking me if I could drive him to a pharmacy or to help him out with this. And Jason at the time was, he asked me about it and I told him Alex was hurt and Jason wanted to help. So I had gone over to Alex's house to help him and that is when I seen what had happened and Jason had patched him up as he said. When you say you saw what had happened, can you please describe that to the jury? What I saw had, had happened was he had slit his wrist and he shown me that he had to use a t-shirt to kind of 
stifled the bleeding. And it was just a very ugly gash from what I looked at. At a later date, did Alex tell you, first of all, at that time, when you were there with Jason, did he say, if you remember, yes. what he said about cutting his wrist? What he said to me about cutting his wrist is that he felt he was feeling depressed again and that he felt like he was feeling dead inside. Did he tell you that in front of Jason or did he tell you that at a later date? He told me that not in front of Jason, but kind of to the side. He pulled me to the side when we were talking. And again, I'm showing you another essay by Alex Woodworth from exhibit number six. 97. What is this essay called? This essay is called Between Two Hands, January 20th through 22nd, 2018. Is it the same as the handwritten version, the typed version? Yes. Is this in evidence? Yes. Already? Okay. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Exhibit 697, Your Honor. Okay. Thank you. And again, I'm going to ask you to read a small portion of this larger essay. Um, and I would ask you just the second paragraph, can you read that? Yes. Should I confess that I have a large gas gash on my left wrist, a self-inflicted wound that had severed nerves and nearly cut through tendons? For me, one hand can only feel and move in a limp, numb way. Okay, what I'm gonna stop you. Did yes. he? Did he discuss this essay with you? Yes, definitely. Did he literally mean that his left hand couldn't move anymore? He could move it. He just said it felt different. Okay. And is he referring in this essay, did he tell you that he was writing about the time where he had cut his wrist? Yes. And he specifically, what did he specifically later tell you about cutting his wrist? He told me he had done it kind of in a, a, a painful response to my rejection. Um, later on in this essay, after he says limp, numb way, can we just go to um, one, one where it hand, says one of my hands? Yeah, we have one of my hands has quit its status almost as lib as corpse proper. It is no longer proper. It is a shameful and an advertising of my own lack of well-being. The reversibility of hands is gone. For me, one hand cannot feel. It is inactive, but it cannot be felt either. It is unpassive. I love you. What Does it say I love you, Ted? Yes, but... Do you know what Ted refers to? There's no Ted, no. Okay. Um, and let me ask you, um, again, when he talks about this hand being unfeeling, is he referring to this physically or psychologically at this point, in, in terms of if he discussed it with you? When he discussed it with me, he said it felt different, but he was discussing how psychologically it felt numb and strange to him. Did... Alex have some pet names or references he would call you besides boy? Yes. Um, what were those? 
His pet names for me mostly were his lamb. He would call me his son, as in S-U-N. And lamb, son, and his goon at times. All right, let me talk to you specifically about lamb. Yes. What did he tell you he meant by his lamb? As we were intimate, he would tell me, and as he would call me his lamb, he would use it in the holy sacrificial way as the lamb of Christ or the lamb of God. He would tell me I was his holy sacrifice. I was his lamb. Did that have a specific reference, his lamb, in relationship to what's shown on the cover of the Kierkegaard book? Did he say that to you? Yes, we discussed this deeply. Um, the sacrifice that, or what is shown on the book is the story of Abraham and his struggle as he was called to sacrifice his son, which he had an ultimate love for. And he would discuss to me the beauty and everything that was in the lines and in between the lines for him for that novel, as he would read it to me during intercourse. And was there a specific comparison between the lamb that yes. Abraham substitutes for his son and calling you the lamb? Yes. Can you explain what that is? As he would say to me that Abraham, the sacrifice of the son is a sacrifice to God, the holiness of it. And he considered me his lamb, his holy sacrifice, and all of the love in that and the sacrifice of not wanting to give that up. He also used the word son, S-U-N. Was yes. he referring to anything specific when he told you he was, you were his son? Yes, he had a pet name for... And I know in, this is embarrassing. It, it, this is embarrassing for me. Um, it's in reference to my v vagina, it, the sun, the blaze, the warmth. He would often talk about how my intimate area was his son, S-U-N. Now, during this time, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to take you up now to, um, first of all, are there many journal phrases where Alex would refer to love and do what you will? Yes. Did you take the journals and count up what you thought, how many times that he would actually refer to that phrase in his journals? Yes. How many times did you count? Roughly, it was the high 20s into the 30s. It's, it's deeply woven into the journals. Was that phrase also deeply woven into your relationship? Yes. It seemed like instead of your typical morning text message, it would be a text of love and do as you will, or he would somehow bring it into almost every conversation we would have intimately, just normal conversation at the coffee shop, at home. It was, it was always a part of every day. I'm going to ask you, um, about some specific sexual acts between you and Alex, all right? All right. 
as your sexual relationship progressed into January and February, yes, did the sexual acts between you and Alex undergo a change from what they had been? Yes. Can you please tell us what that was? Well, from what I said before, the more vanilla, it turned into a, what at times could be considered a BDSM relationship. And what does BDSM mean? BDSM is bind, dominance, and it can be submissive or sadomasochist. It's, it depends on what sector you're in, if it's submissive, dominant, or sadomasochism. Okay, I'm going to ask you this with respect to Alex, okay? Yes. Have you heard in respect to BDSM what a safe word is? Yes. What is a safe word? In a BDSM relationship, a safe word is essentially, it's one of the most important parts of the relationship I consider. It's when in an act, when something is getting too much for you or one of the partners or the submissive. And a safe word is something that individual can say when it's just too much and it's time to stop. In sexuality, first of all, with regard to Alex, what role did you play, the dominant or the submissive? I took the role of submissive. And in that role, did Alex and you have a safe word? I suggested it, but we did not agree, and we did not have a safe word, no. Why didn't you agree? What did Alex tell you with respect to ha not having a safe word? He didn't prefer a safe word. He, f he told me in our relationship that it didn't, he didn't want that, essentially. It didn't play into kind of what he wanted to get out of the relationship. And I'm going to ask you about some specific sexual acts. First of all, I'm going to ask you about wax or what's called wax play. Wax play is when you use a candle, like a candle or a wax-like substance, and you drip or drain it onto your partner, the submissive. Before you referred to prone, and we only discussed prone in terms of you being face down, was there another aspect to what was called prone that eventually developed in your sexual relationship with Alex? What eventually developed with this prone position is the desire for the submissive in this role to be in a... what is commonly called a chokehold or to, to appear to be unconscious. Did, was that something he did with you? Yes. Um, let me ask you, how is it that without a safe word, in your mind, did this connect at all with what Alex used to say to you about your flaws and vulnerability? Yes. Can you please explain that to us? With Without a... In an act like this, or in an asexual act, without a safe word, it, it is hard for me as an individual to be vulnerable. I was uncomfortable with the idea of no safe word, and he demanded from me to be vulnerable in these times, and that was hard for me. 
in addition to the wax and the chokehold thing you described, was there ever a time back in your relationship in January or February where Alex used a knife when having sex with you? Yes, he had cut a pair of my pants that I had one day. It never went as far to touch or graze my skin. He just ripped through some holes that were already on my pants. And I just, I threw them away after that. What was your reaction to these things? The wax, the chokehold, the knife, that one occasion. Um, what was your reaction to these? My reaction, I was very supportive of his dominance at first. I wanted him to feel like he can express himself. And I was also exploring. With the wax, it, it was different and it was a bit strange for me at first, but that it was fine. I found I had issues with the prone position and being in a chokehold from behind. I started to not enjoy that. It was really just not what I wanted and I had voiced my opinion a few times. It was just, it wasn't with my alignment. The time he had cut my pants, he ripped through some holes already and he cut them. And I was a bit frustrated at the sense that, oh great, I have to throw some pants away now. But it made me a bit uncomfortable because it was so sudden and so new. Well, let me just take you back to something you said because I want to follow up. You said you voiced your opinion. Yes. What did you say to him when you voiced your opinion? When I voiced my opinion to him, I said to him, essentially in this prone position or in this position that I was sore, that at times it was uncomfortable and it felt as if it was a bit bruising and constricting for me. It caused anxiety. When you told him that you didn't like it, yes. how did he respond to you? Well, it was quite crude how he responded, but he would tell me that it wasn't fair that I had finished and he wasn't going to get his chance then. So you're telling him you don't like this to not do it. He's saying it's unfair I didn't get to finish. What would happen as a, you know, either during, after, before those conversations? During the conversation, he would express how he was, he thought it was unfair he didn't get to finish because he spent so much time for me. And I, December 3rd, I, 2017. Is the type version the same as the handwritten? Yes. This essay, does it begin with him talking about love and do as you will? Yes. And as this essay continues, does he talk about love and do as you will? I'm not going to have you read it, but is there continued discussion about what it means? Yes. Does he specifically um, mention there is love and do as you will. Don't worry about self-control. Be excessive if you want to. There is nothing you ought to do. Anything goes. Yes. Did he discuss that with you? Yes. What did he mean by that? What he meant by that, because there's the original love and do as you will, but when he says it, it was his way of 
saying, this is what I mean when I say this to you. This is what I mean when I say love and do as you will. So in other words, in your intimate relationship with Alex, would he express a divergence from the philosophical love as you do with will to the personal love and do as you will? Yes. Leading. Okay, what did he express about how love and do as you will meant to him personally in your relationship? What he told me in our relationship is that there is going to be times when he's going to take control. He's going, if he, there's going to be times when he's demanding certain things and love and do as you will, as he would say, is the reason why he's able to do this because he will do as he will. It, it was his way of saying, I'm going to do this and love and do as you will, he would say. I'm showing you the sentence that's near the very end of this essay on the page that begins with the, mer the word merely. Yes. Can you please read that sentence? Merely doing as one will sexually makes consent irrelevant, but merely letting another do as they will does the same. All right. This issue about consent being irrelevant by doing as he would. Yes. aware of this sentence in his journals before the sexual acts became, in January and February, things you were uncomfortable with? Yes, it was a conversation we had in detail. And how did you feel about this line about consent being irrelevant? Well, as I was reading this essay and we're discussing, yet again, love and do as you will, I pointed it out and I told him that I felt completely the opposite of this. I come from a point of when consent is everything, like consent, 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 each step of the way. And this, for me, was a first red flag. I'm showing you a very short essay. Yes called Resolution, written on January 1st, 2108. Yes, I'm familiar. Okay. And is the typed version the same as the handwritten version? Yes. All right, can you read that essay? I need to be I need to be more selfish. My relationships have failed because I couldn't ask for what I wanted or needed. I love people who are hurting, but I am too. To find anything that will last, I need to find a way to be selfish. Oddly, I need to find resol resoluteness. <laughs> resoluteness in this resolution. Selfishness needs to find a place in my values. So as he started to take and do what he wanted sexually, Yes. And you were protesting. Yes. Did you think about this essay where he had said this at all? Yes, I had. I, I thought about it often. And I'm going to show you one last essay now. And um, I think we're going to be done with the essays okay. at that point. Um, I 
if just one second, I'm trying to find the right thing rather than read the entire essay. showing you, again, another essay. What's the title of this essay? The title of this essay is Faith in Flesh, February 2nd, 2018. And again, is the typed version the same as the handwritten version? Yes. And I'm going to ask you about a specific paragraph that's kind of in the middle of this essay. Can you read this paragraph? Yes. Next, the other may demand that I not die. They may demand that I not commit self-sacrifice. This may be because they enjoy my self-mutilation or, be beca or because they refuse to carry the guilty of my guilty flesh. In both cases, my duty is to feed is complicated. For to give purely is suicide. For to give purely is suicide, go ahead. Violence against another to provide for this demanding okay, wait, other. I'm sorry, I think Did I miss a sentence? Line? One minute. For to give purely to suicide can involve, <laughs> can involve a cessation of violence, but it is the obligation to not die oddly, I must commit violence against another to provide for this demanding other. This forces me to murder. In order to provide, I am doing it either way. This is demanding, this demanding other has taken my redeeming suicide from me and doomed me to torturous guilty. Okay. So when you saw that Alex had written about murder in his journal, did this stand out to you in any way? Yes, this essay did stand out to me. Okay, I'll ask you more about that later. I'm going to go back to talking to you about um, Jason. All right. All right. Yes. Um, this relationship's developing with Alex. Yes. And as this is going on, what's going on with you and Jason? As our relationship with Alex and I developed, the rift between me and Jason in the distance furthered. We, it seemed as if we were more roommates and just living together than we were girlfriend and boyfriend anymore. What were you thinking about doing with respect to your relationship with Jason? I was thinking about leaving, ending it, breaking up. Now, you heard Jenna Van Zant testify before? Yes. And I believe that I'm showing you what's been marked previously as exhibit number 405 and entered in evidence. Is this a copy of texts that went between you and Jenna Van Zant? Yes. Um, and what did you say to Jenna Van Zant in that text? Would you like me to read it exactly? Um, or you can summarize it or read it either way. 
in summary, I was expressing that I needed more boundaries, that I was feeling mistreated, and I the relationship was unhealthy, there was no communication, miscommunications, and that I, I, I need to talk to him about these things and I might need to leave. Well, in the beginning, you say, I'm realizing I'm finally brave enough to talk to Jason. Yes. Talk. Did you also refer in this to breaking up with him? Yes. Yes. And did you talk about how other people were telling you about your relationship with Jason? Yes, a lot of my friendships I had at Racy's, I would tell them examples and things that were going on between me and Jason. And my friends at the time, they were telling me that this is unhealthy and damaging and you need to get out of this. Um, did you talk about him specifically name calling you? Yes, he had called me names. In this, I said specifically, he called me retard, retarded, one of the most offensive things to me. Okay. Now, on this day, on February 5th, was this right before you, in fact, did break up with Jason? I believe so, yes. I'm just gonna briefly diverge All right. into something else. Um, well, let me just say this. Eventually, did you also break up with Alex? Yes. Did you break up with the two of them in the same month? Yes. So which breakup was first? Jason. And how long after breaking up with Jason, did approximately how long, I know you don't have a calendar, did you break up with Alex? Not long after, a few weeks or so, maybe a month. During this time, did you, did you also spend some time with a fellow named John Hansen? Yes, I had. How did you know him? He was my friend through Jason. And being your friend through Jason, did you have any interest in John Hansen? Yes, at the time I did have some interest in John Hansen. Would the word crush express that or what word would you use? I had developed a crush, yes. When Jason went out of town, well, so you were spending some time with John Hansen. Um, did you know of a friendship between John Hansen and Alex as well? I was well aware of their friendship, yes. And Phyllis, did they discuss philosophies as far as you knew? Yes, they discussed philosophy all of the time. Um, do you know if specifically they discussed a philosophy called nihilism? Yes. Action relevance. Overruled. Go ahead. Did they? Okay, go ahead. Yes, that was a topic all three of us had discussed together all the time. And when discussing nihilism, what did Alex Woodworth say that it meant to him? What Alex Woodworth expressed to me about nihilism is that it's a kind of take all. It's a going against the norms of society and it's a very in a lot of ways it's kind of a pe pessimistic nihilism it's a very different view of life than i had at the time what about john did he express similar things to you objection yeah. relevance i'm going to sustain that uh, it, again it's what's in miss mccandless it's in her mind uh so sustain that 
Now, when Jason went out of town, um, John Hansen and you, had you done some drawings, paintings, or anything like that? Yes, we had been hanging out quite a bit, doing art together. When Jason went out of town, did something happen with you and John Hansen? Yes. What happened? What happened between me and John is that he bought some wine for us, and I had gone over to his house to talk about what's going on between me and Jason and Alex and what's really going on. And I hadn't really eaten anything that day, and I started to drink a lot of wine. And I had ultimately become severely drunk to the point of throwing up and blacking out a few times. Did you, so is it fair for me to say when you say blacking out a few times, do you mean that you were in and out of consciousness? Yes. Does it also mean that you have a hard time recovering some of what happened that evening? Yes. Is there something specific sexually, though, that you do recall about that evening? Yes. What is that? Specifically, I remember it being dark and w w waking up, and I could clearly feel that I was in a sexual act, that I some, someone was having sex with me. Did you know who that person was? Yes, it was John. The next day, did John, um, so let me ask you this, this sexual act, did you resist him at all? No, I just let it happen. The next day, uh, in the morning, what happened? In the morning, he told me to go to his son's room and wait until he got up so that his roommate wouldn't suspect that I was in his bed. And... Did you eventually go back home? Yes, we, he drove me back to my apartment. When he drove you back to your apartment, did he come in? Yes, he did. And um, what happened once you were inside the apartment? Once we were inside the apartment, he had said that he had to go to the bathroom. So I went upstairs to change out of my clothes from the night before, and he came into my room with me. And <laughs> this is hard. Um, he just started undoing his belt and said that I looked great and that proceeded to ask me and lead me to perform sexual acts with him. And again, did you resist him at all? No. Did you tell him, no, I don't want to do this? I didn't say much of anything, so no, I did not. Now, after that incident with John Hansen, was it shortly after that that you left Jason's apartment and broke up with Jason? Yes. Where did you move when you left his apartment? I moved to my mother's. Who helped you move? <coughs> Alex helped me move. Had you previously introduced Alex to your family, or at least to your mother? A few times he met my family, yes, at Racy's. And had Alex also uh, come over to the office that your mom worked in one time? Yes, I invited him to come help peel some wallpaper from the office. When Alex came over to your families, did even after helping you move back home, was he invited back another occasion? Yes. And who did he spend time with on that occasion? On that occasion, he spent time with me and my mother. Anybody else? Yes. Who? My sister and my dad, my stepdad. And what's your stepdad's name? James Gunnelson. Okay. 
Um, after you moved out, were you still seeing Jason at all? Well, first of all, when you moved out, was Jason in town or out of town? He was out of town. And um, were you still seeing him at all? Was he still your boyfriend? He wasn't my boyfriend, no, but we were still texting. Things were confusing between us. During this period, how did Jason come to know about John Hanson? Or did he come to know is, I guess, what I should say? He did, yes. How, do you know how he came to know about it? I do know. He had wanted to spend some time with me in Eau Claire, so he rented a hotel room for us. And after a night together, I woke up to him going through my phone. And there had been some text messages. What, just I just want to back up there a second. When you say your phone, was it actually a phone or a different device? No, I never use a real phone. I always use an iPod, which I've been using for a while when I'm connected to Wi-Fi. So I'm pretty disconnected otherwise. Okay. And um, in fact, there was a phone found in your car on yes. March, after March 22nd when the police found that. Was that phone functional? Um, I don't know because I never paid the bill. I got it for just a little while for work and then I just stopped using it altogether. So it ran out of minutes, of course, so no, it was not functional. Okay, let me get back to this whole issue about Jason going through your iPod. Um, what, did, what happened when he went through your iPod? When he had gone through my iPod, there was a few text messages that were flirtatious between me and John that I had not deleted. Jason woke me up and he had screenshotted my text messages. He was pretty angry and he even broke my iPod in this anger. And when he broke your iPod during this anger, did he do anything else to you? Yes, during this conversation we were having a little argument, he threw my iPod to the floor after reading these text messages to me. He pushed me down on the bed and told me I couldn't leave until this was resolved. What, did Jason place a phone call to anyone? Yes, he had called John. During this conversation, were you able to hear the entire conversation? I was right with him the entire time. Were you asked to talk to John during this conversation? Yes. Who asked you to do that? Jason asked me to speak with John. And did uh, Jason say something to John about having sex with you? Yes, he asked him if I, he had had sex with me, and John responded that he had not. Um, and why did, do you know why Jason made you talk to John on the phone? He made me speak with John on the phone that he, so, he could li so that he could listen to our conversation and see if he would change his story. And during that conversation, did John acknowledge that he had had sex with you? Yes. And had you acknowledged that to Jason? Yes. When you talked to Jason about this, yes. John having sex with you, um, yes. did you express at all that you thought it was a rape, or did you ever use that word? No. Did you ever use the word? Why don't you have some water? Yeah, uh, yeah, that's... Okay, why don't we just hang on just a second? Of course. <clears throat> What's that? Okay, go ahead. Did you use the word assault when you talked to Jason? It was not a word I had used 
No. Um, after you, he had talked to John on the phone, did he take you over to Josh Trankler's? Yes, he did take me to Josh Trankler's after this. Okay, who's Josh Trankler? He's a friend of ours, a friend we share, yes. Uh, what happened, I just wanna make sure everybody's, okay. What happened when Jason took you over to Josh Trankler's? Well, after I had told him roughly what had happened the night between me and John, Jason got just full of rage. He was pacing and he told me he was going to do something to John, that he was going to kill John, that we needed to go somewhere to talk to somebody with a level head. So he take, he had taken me to Josh's house. When he got to Josh's, was Jason acting like he had a level head? No. What was he doing? Jason went upstairs with Josh and he would pace downstairs and he was just pacing all over the house. He was yelling with, at Josh essentially and he just, he, he, he was very hot headed at that time. He was very angry. When you were downstairs, could you hear him upstairs? Yes. And as a result of all of the screaming and yelling, that yes. Jason was doing, to your knowledge, did Josh, how did you know that, or did you know how Josh Trankler responded? Yes, I do. He called the police because he was concerned as what Jason might do to John. When the police got there, did they ask to speak to you? Yes, they did. What did you tell them? The police were directed to me by Jason and Josh to talk to them and I didn't really want to talk in this place where everybody was angry and hot-headed so they asked me if I would like to go back to the station to talk and I said yes. Now you've been in court and you heard the tape of you talking to Officer Vang. Yes. Was everything you said on that tape true? Yes. You also heard testimony about you talking to Detective Proc. Yes. And essentially, in so many words, did you tell Detective Proc essentially the same things that you told Officer Vang about the sex with you and John? Yes. Did you ever use the word assault or rape when you were talking with Detective Vang or Detective Proc? No. Did somebody bring up the word assault or, or something similar to you? Yes. Who was that who brought that up and defined what you told them or informed you that this is an assault? Objection relevance. Sustained. I would like to approach. Yes, I told them about that. Okay. And did uh, Detective Proc and Officer Fang give you some literature after you met with them? Yes. Well, after I met with Vang, there were some individuals that they provided me with a folder full of pamphlets to, to get help and counsel during a tough time like this. Did you go to counseling? Yes, I did. All right. Now, I'm going to move from talking about that to talking about um, the period of this happening. First of all, before this happened where Jason was looking at your iPod. Yes. Did you break off with Alex before that occurred? Yes. Uh, was Do you remember time-wise how recent it was before Jason looked at your iPod? It was briefly before, before approximately. Like a day or two, is that what you mean yeah. briefly? Yes. Okay. And um, so I'm gonna ask you some questions now about that period between All right. um, 
you moving back home, breaking off with Jason, then breaking off with Alex. First of all, yes. why did you break off with Alex? Let me ask you that first. I broke off with Alex because during this time, there was so much going on and he wanted my love and vulnerability. And it, at that time, I wasn't ready for a relationship. I felt there was just so much going on. I wasn't even sure if I wanted to work on my previous relationship yet. I wasn't ready. And during this period, were you saying, what were you doing generally with your life? Who are you, you said you were living with your mother, I believe, yes. right? And living with your mother, were you working? Or what, yes, what was I going was. on with your life? So I moved back home with my mom and I applied to a school that I graduated from. And I started soon after working as a paraprofessional in the kindergarten through fourth grade special education room. And besides working, were you talking much with your, uh, Jason during that time? Yes, I was. What were your feelings or your thoughts about Jason during this time in March? During this time, I lots of feelings of love from the love we had when we first started a relationship, memories from when we first started. Just being away from him made me miss him, and I was feeling again a lot of that love. Were you texting about that? All of the time, yes. Was Jason reciprocating your texts? Yes. Did there, uh, in the middle of March, did you go to Eau Claire and spend any time with Jason? Yes. Just tell us about that briefly. I went and I spent some time with Jason. We had started sleeping with each other again and talking about possibly maybe getting counseling thinking about all the things we had said to each other in the past, just seeing if maybe this really needed to work out because of how much we did love each other. And when you said you started sleeping with him, um, yes. where did you spend some time, a couple of nights with him or anything in Eau Claire? Yes, I spent a couple of nights with him. We got a few hotel rooms. We didn't really want to be at the apartment. Okay. After spending a couple of nights with Jason, do, do you recall th th what time that was? Was it like the date? Do you have any memory of what the exact dates were? I have no memory of the exact dates, no. Okay. Um, did you um, return after spending a couple of nights to Jason's to your mother's house? I did, yes. And what happened when you got back to your mom's? Well, um, my mom wasn't supportive of me continuing or exploring the idea of rekindling the relationship I had with Jason. And me being her me being her child and she was my mom, we got into an argument. Of course, I I knew what I wanted and I was she disagreed, so I moved out after that. Okay. Um, let me ask you then about going, um, so did your mom feel the same way about Alex that she felt about Jason in terms of what she expressed to you? She had some mixed feelings about Alex as well. And when you broke up with Alex, um, how did you break up with him? I regretfully broke up with him through text. Why did you do it through text? It was, I did it through text because I did it in a rushed way. 
I just wanted to just be done with all of this drama. Okay. We'll come back to talking about you and Alex later, but I'm going to ask you, after your mother was upset with you because yes. you were saying Jason and asked you to leave, where did you go? I went to my dad's. Um, and is that your father, Joe Shane Carlin, who we saw in court? Yes. All right. What is your father's main employment? He's a correctional officer. And besides his correctional officer primary, yes. does he have a do-it-yourself or secondary business that he owns? He has a tree-cutting business that I helped name when I was about five. Did you uh, work with him at that tree-cutting business? All of the time, yes. And when you worked with him, um, did you use knives at all? It was a part of every day. When he, um, in addition to knives and the tree-cutting service, did your father, I'm going to call him your father, so your adoptive father. Yes, he's my father. He's okay. my dad. Um, did he give you or let you have other knives in your car? Yes, he seemed to always give me one or want me to have one in different places. There's been discussion here about the knife that um, that you used or the knife that was in your car that the police yes. found by the side of the road, the knife that was involved in the knife fight with you and Alex. And yes. was that, and how did you get that knife? Objection, Your Honor, to the Argumentative. Okay, the knife we're talking about, how yes. did you get that knife? That knife was a knife that my dad had given me. He's, he always likes to make sure I'm prepared for every situation. So various EMT knives he would give to me to break glass. It has seatbelt cutters. He just wants me to be prepared. It had been in and out of the house. He has a few of them, yes. And that particular knife, did you put it in your car on the morning of March 22nd? No. Do you know when you put it in your car? No, it was in and out always. Okay. Um, what would your dad, specifically with the use of knives, what would your father tell you about that? Objection, hearsay, sustain. A judge, it goes to her state of mind, not the truth of the matter asserted. Let, let me rephrase right. the question, maybe okay. it'll be more clear. Did your father ever say anything to you about having a knife in your car, specifically um, for defending yourself? Objection, hearsay. Well, it's not offered for the truth. No. The matter is sort of just for what is in her state of mind, so Correct. I'll overrule the objection. Okay. What? Yes. Okay. What did he tell you, or what do you recall him telling you? What I recall my dad telling me, he told me many times, and he would always tell me, when you're in a situation with an individual or if someone's attacking you, that you need to do anything and everything you can to get away, to defend yourself. And he would tell me about... You can use knives, you can scratch, you can kick, you can fight. Were you aware that there were firearms in his house? Well aware. Did you know where they were located? Always, yes. He made me aware of this. Uh, were you able to have access to them? Yes. Did you learn how to use firearms when you were young? Of course. He made sure of that. Did you go hunting with your father? I never hunted, but I've gone hunting many times. Now, did you take a firearm with you when you left your father's house on the morning of March 22nd? Absolutely not. Why not? All I was doing that day was going for some errands. There was no need for a weapon or a firearm or anything of that sense. 
Was one of those errands that you were going to do on March 22nd, in your mind, was one of the things you wanted to do to talk to Alex? Yes. And um, so did you want to bring a gun with you to talk to Alex? Absolutely not. Were you afraid of Alex? No. All right. I'm going to ask you some specific uh, communication that you had received on the evening of March 21st. Uh, were you sent a picture on Instagram by Jason? Yes, I was. Um, and that's a picture we've seen that's an evidence of the bathroom wall? Yes, it after, is. After you received that picture, uh, what did you do? Well, I wasn't happy about it. Did you have then a voice conversation with Jason yes, I in did addition call him. to texting? Yep. And when you saw that picture, did you have some thoughts in your mind about who had written your phone number and, um, you know, barista or maybe some of the kitchen boys, as they're called? What What do you mean by kitchen boys? Kitchen boys, well, that's what they call the workers who work in the kitchen side of Racy Dell Lanes, which is called the nucleus. Just a bunch of guys. Like cooks, chefs? Cooks, chefs. Did you, in your mind, did you think Alex had written it? No. Um, it Rather, was... then I'm going to object to this whole line of questioning as not being relevant. Well, the, the state brought this in for some reason. I think her state of mind about yeah, it. I'm going to relate. Thank you. Um, were you planning to mention it to Alex? Yes, I was. What was your intent with telling Alex about this? My intent with telling Alex about this was just to ask him, like, how do you think they got my number? It kind of sucks that this is going on. There's a lot of drama. Do you know who might be doing it? So I could ask him that this isn't right. Can you stop, please? All right. Before, in, in the period of time where... You were at home. Yes. In March. Were you writing any journals? Yes, I was. I'm showing you what's been marked as exhibit number 365. Yes. And what's the title of that journal? This journal is Ezra McCandless, Silence Broken. I'm also showing you what's been marked as 366. Is there a title on that journal? There's no title, but it's called Journal 2. Okay. Over what period of time were you writing these two journals? It was a period of a couple weeks. I had been visiting someone for counseling, and they told me maybe to write Objection, down. hearsay. Sustained. Why were you writing the journals? to express how I felt about okay. everything. And were you doing it specifically because you were trying to have this be part of the therapeutic process for you? Yes. All right. So there's been some testimony about these journals being edited on March 21st. Yes. Did you open the journals on March 21st? Yes. Over the period of weeks, I had finished it a couple weeks before, but as a writer, you always open it to correct misspellings, alignment of paragraphs. Every time I open it, it adds that it's been seen or edited. Was this journal in a format called Google Docs? Yes. 
And in Google Docs, every time you open a document, does it update the date? <coughs> it does, yes. Okay. Um, did you, uh, you've reviewed these journals, right? Of course, yes. And y were you going to send them to a friend named Julia Post? Yes, I had sent them to her already. And what was the purpose of doing that? The reason why I spent time with a few weeks before and why I had sent them to her is she's she's great with grammar and she's great with words, so she was helping me out. She was kind of my consult for cleaning it up. Okay, I'm going to put this now on the Elmo. We're not going to read everything, but I'm just going to ask you in this journal what you're talking about and why, just in summary form. All right. So just to summarize, this part of the journal, when you're talking about moving uh, back, it was the past summer and you had moved, had you been, where had you been before the summer you moved back with your parents? The summer before I moved back with my parents was spent in Marinette, Wisconsin, and that's where I was starting my first year of secondary school. Okay, so after your first year of, so secondary school for you, does that mean, are you referring to college? Yes. Okay, just some people call secondary school high school, so I just that's wanted true. to clarify college. that. Okay, and so after your first year of college, um, are you telling us you had gone back home? Yes, I am. All right. Now, when you went back home, did you uh, did you then write in your journal about your relationship with uh, Jason Mangle? Yes, I did. Um, you used this sentence, months have passed between us and love had grown. It's an ancient love so powerful, it often scared both of us. I became sick and had the suspicion of what it could be. So what do you mean when you're writing in those passages? What I mean by, as I said in there, an ancient love so powerful. Many times between me and Jason, our own philosophical discussions, we talk about past loves, being old spirit. We, can, we both consider ourselves, even though I'm young, to be very, very old spirits. So, is that that expression people use sometimes? Oh, he or she's an old soul. Yeah, all the time. Okay. All the time. He would describe me as his old soul. So, as saying that this love, this passion, this love—it was just—we felt so much love and so much in common with each other right away that that's just how I express that. In the essay, did you go on to talk about your abortion? Yes, I had. Um, and did you express how the abortion impacted your relationship with Jason Mango? I expressed how it impacted us greatly, yes. Okay. And did you then write in this journal about after, you, you said in this journal that you became, I think the word is, a husk of a woman. Yes. And what did you mean by that? What I meant by that is after the operation and after everything that had happened, I felt just so, I felt like a part of myself had been taken away. I felt hollow inside. You then start talking about two individuals invading your empty mind, yes. dragging you down a rabbit hole, told what ideas to follow, masks you should wear. Can you explain what you meant when you wrote about that? Yes. So during this incredible, vulnerable time when I had terminated my pregnancy, my the two dominant voices I'm speaking of here are friends, were friends, Alex and John Hansen. I was talking about in this how during my vulnerable state, I was being told kind of 
how to feel, how to get over things, what to do, just kind of how to, I describe it as a mask, just kind of how to move past this in ways they thought might help or what I should do, they thought. So this is your feelings then, but as you were going through this, you, you talked about developing feelings of love for Alex. Yes. So in here you're expressing it completely differently. Yes. Why the difference? The difference is coming out of the relationship. I, I don't want you to look at this. I just okay. want you to talk about how you felt. All right. So coming out of the relationship, I, in that relationship, I felt all of this love and this warmth and listening to him and him telling me what I should do and what I should think, essentially. In that moment, all I felt was that love. I was only, that's all I was, I could notice. And then being completely removed from a relationship and from that relationship, I noticed all of the red flags or things that really didn't fit right with me and that it's opposite now because I'm expressing what I had, I had ignored because of love. Let me ask you this. Okay? Yes. Um, in this, it's yes. happening on the screen, you, you wrote, I was an object even called a fetish, Can, and that it horrified you to be described as a fetish. Can you tell me what you mean by that? <laughs> what I meant by that in this essay, or journal as you can call it, was that the person I had loved at that time were, uh, ins instead of just being me and wanting to be seen as me, they started to express how I was a fetish to them, how, how I identified, how I looked, what they wanted from me. Instead of essentially being, as a McCandless, the person, I was just the want, the fetish, the sexual aspects. Is that how you felt at that time in your relationship with Alex? Yes. And um, you talk about what happened with John and vomiting and yes. fears. Um, and then you also then talked to that you had turned to your other friend for advice and concerns. Yes. And what do you mean by that, you would turn to your other friend? What were you writing about? I had talked about in there turning to my other friend being Alex about what had happened between me and John. And you said that when you turned to Alex, um, you wrote, to, you said, guilt towards our friendship only to once again for it to turn to his desires of making me the boy he wanted. What did you mean by that? When what had happened between me and John had happened, I quickly, shortly after I went to go talk to Alex, I told him my fears about what had happened, the confusion, the kind of the betrayal aspect of it. And during that time when I went over to his house to see him, he just kind of told me, well, I can make you forget it. You can sleep with me. We can spend some time together. Let me make you forget. What you wrote in your journal after that was, quote, it was painful and I often said stop. Yes. I can't, and then you wrote bit, but I think you mean but, but he would then yes. change the position and proceed to say I'm fine and just too sensitive. Earlier you talked about 
your sex with Alex talking about your fine. Yes. That he should finish. Is that what you're referring to in this journal? Yes, and I was referring to, yes, the sensitive, feeling bruised. I was referring to that, yes. And at the end of the journal, you have a section called What is Next? Yes. If, what are you talking about in the What is Next section? Do you need me to put it up on the screen for you to refresh your memory? Sure. Okay. Okay, so just, again, I don't want you to read the whole thing, but... I'm refreshed, yes. Okay, so let me ask you this. When you're, when you're talking about this in this section, about what is next, what are you talking about in this journal? What I'm talking about in this journal, in, there was sections of this, in this journal going through my relationship, my loves I had had, and in this what is next is I was writing about, like... What am I going to do next? What can I become? I felt that my opportunities are endless. I can keep pursuing the career I want. Just I, very inspired by a conversation I had with my father and how I can take a course of action for myself. I can become who I am. When you said I betrayed the one I love in many ways and felt nothing but regret and pain knowing how far I lost myself, you put that yes. in there. Yes, I had. And were you talking about how you were going to change that, or what were you talking about? What I was talking about that, not that I was going to change the betrayal and the feelings of guilt, is that just acknowledging that this had happened. I'm not going to hide from what I had done. And I acknowledge the fact that my partner at that time was deeply hurt, and I can recognize that and acknowledge it. You ended this with writing, I cannot hurt myself anymore. I cannot hurt the ones I love. Yes. I can become Ezra McCandless again. I am worth it. What did you mean by that? What I meant by that is there was so much going on in the past months. There was drama, there was loss, and there was pain, and there was love. And I've stepped back, and I recognize all of it. I recognize that... I am worth it as a person. I can be what I want to be. I can do what I want to do as in career-wise, as an artist. I can just express myself and embrace that it's, it's, it's time for a change. Let me ask one thing in this journal, and I'm trying to find the line. Yes. Um, and I think Mr. <coughs> you, oh. Okay. The part about what is next, you talked about being inspired by your dad. Did you write the whole paragraph, what is next, or was that just a feeling you're having? I'm a little confused. The whole paragraph at the end, what is next? Did I, you, yes, I wrote it, yes. I, I know you wrote it, but did yes. you write that whole paragraph that night? Or no, did you no, it, it was, it kind of corroborated the fact that I can do this. I am worth it. He helps me embrace that feeling more with our talks. Okay. And you also, and I'm not going to dwell on it, but you also yes. wrote what's called Journal 2. Yes. What's Journal 2, uh, what are you writing about in Journal 2? In Journal 2, it was mostly, it was more of a reflection of the guilt, the pain, the 
relationship issues I had had. It was also, it was another, it was kind of disconnecting myself from another in a relationship and looking at that, reflecting on that and how I felt about that at that time. Is that journal too much more specific to your relationship with Alex Woodward? Yes. Okay. And um, again, um, you end that with saying, I do not discount my part in the abuse. I do not feel innocent. Are you referring also with Jason when you say I do not feel innocent? Who are you referring to? I'm referring to all of it, all of it to Jason, to all of my relationships at the time. Okay. My mother, my father. Are you feeling d d that you're taking responsibility or? Yes, very much so. Is, is that a theme in therapy? What was your, you yes. know, that? Objection. Sustain. Um, were you wanting during this period of time to take responsibility for your own actions? Very much so. I, I didn't, I wasn't running from anything I've ever done. I wasn't, I was taking responsibility for my actions. And even if I didn't want to look at all of the ugly parts, I was going to do it because I have a responsibility to grow as a person. And that's a big step of that. You ended that essay with, I know I can be human. I know I can be free. I know I can love. I know I can only strive to never do this again. What did you mean by that? What I meant by that is to be more aware, to be more conscious of my relationships. What I meant by that is I can be human. I can express myself. I am not hiding and I'm not, essentially that was mostly about cheating and leaving someone for certain reasons. And I think, um, did there come a time where something interrupted that conversation? Yes. All right. Um, Judge, do you want to take a lunch break now? Well, I'm just kind of waiting to hear whether there's food. I'd like to go up until uh, we're ready for the jury. We don't have any word yet. So as oh. soon as we get word, okay. uh, we're going to break here real soon. All right. All right. I asked you about an interruption, and I, yes. I am... And you said there was an interruption. What, yes. what did you hear that made you realize there was, that somebody else was there? What made me realize someone else was there is that I heard a ringtone very loudly, not far outside of the room we were in. I was like surprised by that, kind of taken back. I think I forgot to ask you this. Had you left, what had you done with your car when you had gotten over to Alex's house? I left it running. Why? I often leave my car running because it's, uh, I don't, take care of my car like I should. And there's sometimes when if I don't leave it running for periods of time, it will just not start again. And I also didn't really think I was gonna be there that long. Um, are you afraid because your car's running, somebody might steal it? No. Okay. It's an ugly uh, car. When you heard the ringtone, were you saying anything to the Alex about having Jason help him? No. Were you saying let him help you at all? No. Um, was Jason invited to come into the house? No, he just uh, let himself in. All right, so had you heard a knock at the door or a bell ring or anything like that? No, I didn't even know the door had opened. He just kind of burst in. Were you surprised, or let me rephrase that, what was your feeling or your emotion when you heard Jason's ringtone? 
I was surprised and just kind of, it shocked me. I was like, why is he just, why did he just let himself in? Like, what's going on? And when Jason all of a sudden shows up on the scene, yes. was there any change that you saw in Alex's demeanor? Yes. Why don't you tell us what that was? After Jason just let himself in into Alex's home, I could tell that Alex, he was no longer sitting next to me like he was. He he stood up and he was very, I call it being bristled, but he seemed on edge. What conversation took place with Jason, you, and Alex in the room? Jason kind of burst into the room and he was just using his hands a lot and he was saying, what's going on? Is everybody okay? And he was talking, and I, we're, I, I kind of stepped in, and I said, everything's fine, we're fine, we're just talking. And trying to calm him down, I said, we're fine, we can talk in a public place. If Who suggested public place? Kind of all did. We came to this conclusion that we should go somewhere public. But was there something to be afraid of that was going to happen in the bedroom? No. Were you concerned about what Jason might think, that you were in Alex's bedroom? Yes. And what was that about? I knew that he'd probably jump to the conclusion, because that was our place where we talked, that he would assume that I had decided to sleep with him that day. Had you decided to sleep with Alex on that day? No. So after this conversation with Jason, and again, is, is Alex showing any other reaction or any other part of that conversation? He's, as I said, bristled. He's, he's frustrated. He's a little, um, he started to get quiet. And I always see that as a sign that Alex isn't particularly very happy. Who left the room first? Jason. After Jason left, what did you and Alex do? I kind of looked at him and I said, well, I guess let's, we both kind of were like, oh, I guess we should go somewhere to talk. All right. So did you and Alex leave the room? Yes. Where did you go? We went downstairs and outside. When you get downstairs and outside, what's going on? I was so confused to see that there were police vehicles there and Jason was- Did you was, call the police? No. Did, uh, at the time, did you know how the police happened to be there? No, that's why it took me by surprise so much that all of a sudden there's these two police vehicles, there's police officers. I was just like, what's, what's going on? Did the police officers come and talk to you at all? Yes, they did. Do you remember anything about their conversation? I do, yes. What do you recall? I remember they, the usual police contact. They asked for my license and my name. They asked if everything was fine, and I said, yeah, we're going somewhere public to speak. Everything's fine. This is, it's, I had no concerns. How long did you talk with the police for? It wasn't very long, no. And when you were talking with the police, was there anything worrisome to you? No. After the police left, did, uh, were there any words exchanged between you and Jason or Jason and Alex at all? Yes, I had said a few things to Jason. We, we talked before we got in the car and let, well, I talked to Jason before he rode off on his bike and then I got back in the car and okay. left. I'm gonna ask you some questions about what you were wearing on that day. All right. Um, what was, uh, how were you dressed that day? That day I was more layered and casual. I wasn't planning on dressing up 
because I had errands to run. Okay, aside from underwear, what was the first layer on top against your skin? What was your first layer next on to your skin? Top down. So my on first, top. on top, my first layer was a yellow tiger shirt I have. Is that the t-shirt we saw on the screen before? Yes. And on top, what was the next layer that you had on? Was my favorite button-up, which seems to have, it looks like dots, but they're little plants. It's a blue button-up. I hate to ask you an embarrassing question, but were you wearing underwear under your clothes that day? No. Okay. Um, and um, um, so you had no underwear on, no? Right. No. And after the blue button-up shirt, um, what did you, it, was that common for you to not wear underwear under your clothing? Yes, I had tights on, so that kind of what I thought counted it as underwear. Uh, and a bra, is it common for you to not wear a bra? Yes. Okay. So, um, all right, let's go back. I, I want to go back to the top garment. So I think we've talked about the T-shirt, the button-up. Yes. After the button-up, what was the next thing you had on over that? The ne next thing I had on over that was my gold sweater. Okay. And is that the gold sweater we've seen the pictures of? Sometimes yes. Sometimes it looks gold, sometimes it looks brown? Yes, it looks brown, but it's it's gold. Okay. And after the gold sweater, what did you have on top of that? I had, I have this very large, it's a flannel. It's very large on me, so I kind of use it as a coat or an overcoat. Okay. Anything else on your top half of your body? Well, around my waist, I kind of had a another sweater kind of tied loosely. It's like a long sweater. Do you know what color that was? It was kind of goldish. Okay. Um, did you, all right, let's talk about the bottom half of your body. Yes. I think you mentioned tights? Yes. Were those the tights we've seen the pictures of? Yes, my knit tights. And um, on top of the tights, what did you have? I had what's been called as mom jeans, but some light wash, high-waisted pants. Okay. Okay, uh, this is, a, is this a good spot? Uh, let me just right. ask what she had on her feet, and then we can okay. finish Okay, get through all the layers, and we're good. Yeah, okay. okay. Um, were you wearing shoes on that day? Yes, I had my work boots on. Okay. Uh, that's it. Okay. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to break for, again, about one hour from when we leave the courtroom. So, all rise. Jury can be excused for lunch. Oh, we were just starting to get to that point where she was going to talk about what exactly happened on March 22nd, 2018. It's going to come after the lunch break. But there is so much to talk about now. What we saw this morning, her on the stand for over three hours. I have two incredible guests here in the studio joining me to help us analyze everything we saw from defendant Ezra McCandless. I have criminal defense attorney and former federal prosecutor Joe Brewer here and the Honorable Gail Tucson here as well. Thank you both so much for being with us, lending your expertise to Court TV Live. And we've got our camera on the seal there. And if anything is happening and as far as any motions or anything, we're going to go back in. But give me your impressions, please, please, as to what we saw this morning. Joe. Julie, the most confusing part about this whole case is why anyone is storing their music on an iPod in 2018. <laughs> and I know this is a pretty right. hipster crowd, so maybe thought it was some sort of antique novelty uh, to do that. But um, look, this is the this whole morning is the risk of hearsay, and um, it's a unique. It's you know the lesson is, you know, if you're going to get killed by somebody, 
don't put all your thoughts down in a diary and then show it to the person uh, who ultimately victimizes you because that's the, that's the way all of this stuff has gotten in. And it's allowed the defense to manage and control a narrative about Alex uh, that you just wouldn't otherwise be able to do. You wouldn't be able to get this in in any other way, but he's shown her all of this. They had all these um, intimate uh, conversations about the contents, and so she's fully qualified um, to say, these are things we talked about, and this, is, this is, was impacting me, and this influenced me. And so um, it's just a unique opportunity to use a type of evidence that normally you could never you could never get in in this right. way. You're right, Joe. And I, I want to ask the judge a question on that just to kind of take it a step further. What do you think about that ruling to allow in his journals? I mean, these these uh, these thoughts of his, these intimate thoughts, these very personal thoughts, and then it's being read in open court. And and you know, Joe, as you put it, I mean, it's it's a way of, um, I guess, allowing this narrative about him to be put out. He's not here to tell us what his words meant to him. Um, but they're being offered under an exception you know, to the rule against hearsay. Uh, what do you I think, Judge? Just, right, I, I agree with Joe. Just mm -hmm. an incredible in, impact um, on the jury because now they have an opportunity to kind of get inside of the victim's head and, and, and try to understand the relationship between him um, and the defendant. Um, it's, it's unusual, uh, nothing that probably the average juror is going to be able to relate to, and so it, it certainly lays the foundation for what we anticipate, you know, to be her defense. Uh, especially, I found uh, very telling her description of her, you know, kind of going along with what he wanted during their um, sexual activity and, um, you know, not, not resisting. So, I mean, you can just see how this leads to the ultimate moment, you know, where she's presumably going to say, you know, enough is enough and, and, right. and lost it. Right, Judge. You know, and something, we'll have to talk about this on the other side of this next break, uh, but with jurors separating what hearsay is being offered for, because here there's an exception. They're saying they're offering it for the effect on the listener, on how Ezra McCandless was feeling, her state of mind, what, what knowing these things did to her. So it's not being offered for the, the truth of the matter that these things are true. But as a juror, when you're hearing this, aren't they going to accept it as truth? I feel like so it's really hard. those instructions that the judge has presumably given and will mm. give at the end of the case as to how to receive certain evidence and the mm. distinctions, um, you know, <laughs> with all due respect to our system, right. I mean, the jurors have heard it. And, right. and so they're not going to be back there saying, well, okay, we heard this for this purpose, but we can't exactly. assume that that's what really happened. Right. They've heard it. Right. We're going to keep talking so much more to discuss. Have to take a quick break. Uh, Judge and Joe are going to stay here with us in the studio. I want you to stay with us at home when we come back. More live coverage of this head-spinning trial in the state of Wisconsin.